Y'all know it took a couple of days of shooting for them to get me right in that video. Um, anyway, my name is Ed Griffin-Egg, and I'm one of the pastors here at my church. And uh, But we are going to start, we're starting a new series. Before we do that, though, I want to pray and just kind of make y'all aware, too, of had a friend of mine last night whose son was kicked in the head in a soccer game and uh, was actually intubated. And they had to carry him up to Atlanta to Grady, tried to fly him, and they couldn't fly because of the weather. And they ended up putting him on an ambulance. Uh, that was yesterday, early in the day. And then I heard this morning uh, that there was a student at the University of Georgia, 21, 22-year-old student, that uh, went into cardiac arrest and is on life support. So, look, there's stuff that you just don't know. I mean, we just don't know what goes on. And so as we pray over our church in this message this morning, <clears throat> also just keep your friends and, and these kids uh, uh, in our prayers. So let me, let me do that real quick, and then we'll get started. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for, we just thank you for being who you are. Lord, we thank you for being uh, who you are. We thank you for being able to do every single thing that you say you can do. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we lift these uh, these kids up to you, and we just pray that as we walk through every day of our life, that we're constantly looking up at you, uh, gazing at your face, and just and just trying to draw closer to you. Lord, I pray that, uh, and I believe that there are folks here this morning that uh, that you need to speak to. Lord, my prayer is that you would just kind of get me out of the way and say what it is that that you would uh, that you would want to say. And Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Um, we are in a, a beginning a new series called Faith Dance, and uh, uh, we're going to walk through over the coming weeks, we're going to walk through the book of James. Uh, we're going to begin here today some, some stuff in James chapter 1. James is, is in the New Testament on the right side of your Bible. It is uh, the 20th book in the New Testament. James was the brother, the half-brother of, uh, of Jesus this book was written probably, we think, 10 to 20 years after Christ ascended to the Father. So it's one of the earliest books that we know of. It's one of the earliest books in the New Testament. But it is like, it is like the most practical book, probably one of the most practical books <clears throat> in the Bible, in the New Testament, for sure. It's a book that reminds us how to live. You know, it, it subjects from perseverance to to faith, to controlling your mouth, to, um, to submitting to God's will, to having patience. Uh, it really helps us to live authentically and wisely uh, for Christ. And, and through the years, people, people have almost argued that, that, that James and Paul disagreed, that Paul was all about faith and James was all about works. And, and the reality is, is they complement each other. They don't contradict each other because there is nothing contradictory uh, in the scriptures. Um, we're pretty sure that the book of James was written predominantly to Jewish Christians. James was the the leader in the Jerusalem church, and we think that uh, that the book was written predominantly again to to Jewish Christians. And one of the reasons that we're going to walk through uh, this book over the coming weeks is so that we can we can get our arms around the whole faith and works, the, the relationship. How do, they, uh, how do they relate to each other? James refers to faith about 14 times in the book. The book's only six or seven chapters, and he refers to faith 
about 14 times, and, and, and we've got this picture of, <clears throat> of faith, 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 but we also have a picture of obedience and works all over the place as well. And Christians sometimes say or, or maybe even act like, like works are irrelevant and that, that it's just faith. And it even says in the scriptures in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6, and we're going to be flashing through a bunch of scripture this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, get it on your, on a, on your phone. And if you don't, we'll have it up here. And this is Hebrews 11.6. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, of course it says that. Because it is impossible to please God without faith. Belief is first. Write that down. Belief is first. It's the very first thing. And you've got to understand belief and trust and faith. In the Greek, it's the same root word, pistis. Belief and faith and trust because they all, they all go together. They're all, they're all components of, of each other. So, yeah, faith is critical and belief is critical and trust is is critical, but that not to the exclusion of works. Not work that works are <clears throat> works are not irrelevant because it does matter what you do. From a salvation perspective, though, it doesn't matter what you did. What you did does not exclude you from salvation. So there's a relationship that we got to get right between faith and works. We got to be really careful when we talk through this. When we talk about that relationship, we and we've got to do it biblically, and we've we've got to do it rightly. But we also have to realize that it's immature to separate faith from works. I'd maybe even go so far as to say you can't have the first one if you don't see at least a little bit of the second one. Does that make sense? You can't re- if you don't see anything, then you got to kind of wonder about the faith thing. And James is going to walk us through. He does it in the whole book. He walks us through this maze of faith and works. And it's even one of the reasons why we named this series Faith Dance because works are the dance that faith causes. Faith just, true, authentic Christian faith, it just comes to life and dances. It just comes to life in us, and it comes to life through us. Billy Graham said this. He said, The highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. Unselfish Christian service. He said, The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless. And I want this to be the story of our church. I want this to be the story of my church that this is the church that is just radically devoted to making the gospel known to the end of the earth, to being doers of the word. And so I want to walk and study the book of James to encourage, and y'all hear this, to encourage what you're doing, what y'all are doing as your faith is dancing all over Columbus, Georgia. And it's happening in fishing small groups. We got a small group that goes down on Saturday mornings and goes fishing at the river 
and has devotion time. We got small groups that are do that are exercising on Saturday mornings at eight o'clock. If you feel like you want to get up and go exercise, Nick would feel like he wants to do that. But they're getting they're doing that. We've got Bible studies going on all over Columbus. All kinds of different things. Route M twenty uh, Route fifteen twenty. Do y'all realize that it's a small group that Richard leads? Do y'all realize how much of an asset Richard is? Route 1520, do you realize that over 100 men's lives have been changed on Tuesday nights, over 100 men through Route 1520? Do you realize that in, in the M2540, our, we got all these numbers, um, that in, in our homeless and, and at-risk ministry, do, do you realize that that stuff is going on twice a week. Do, we, we have a new ministry called Generations. Generations is a, 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 a foster care prevention ministry. It's a, a family preservation. We, it's only been going for two or three weeks. But do you realize in the last 10 days or so, 10 kids, 10 children who would have been ripped out of a home and put in foster care for stupid stuff, 10 kids because they didn't have a bed and they didn't have a dresser. Well, today those 10 kids have a bed, they have a dresser, and those families weren't ripped apart. Um, And that's because people here care enough to be a doer of the word. They care enough to be a doer of the word. And that stuff, that's y'all. That stuff is going on all over the place. So I want to study and walk through this book, this book of James, and and pray that God would take the faith of my church and lead people all over the place to Christ. So let's dive in. So what we want to walk through today is is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, eight or nine verses. But before we do, I want to look quickly back at the two verses prior to it, 17, verse 17 and 18, because those two verses, they kind of give us the why for verses 19 through 27, they kind of set up 19, they kind of get us onto the field. If, if 19 through 27 is the ball field, 17 and 18 is the parking lot, and they get it, they kind of get us there. So, starting with verse 17, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, heavenly, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Everything good comes from the Father. Not a little bit, not some things, not every now and again. Everything that is good in your life, everything that is good in my life, it all comes from the Father. And James throws in there a little attribute of the one who those good things come comes from. He says he does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same. Immutability is like the theological word for that. He doesn't change. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he's the same yesterday as he's going to be tomorrow. He just he doesn't change. So what what does that what does that tell you? It tells me and you that we can trust him. There's consistency. Everything good comes from him, and he doesn't change. So everything that is good will keep coming from him. We can trust him. We can believe in him. We can place every bit of our faith in him. And, and here's what's crazy is, is verse 18. Verse 18 says, he 
chose us. He, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He chose us. We did nothing. Me and you, we don't bring, we don't bring anything to that table other than the sin that made it necessary. That's all we do. We bring the sin that makes it necessary for him to save us. He didn't have to choose us. He chose to choose us. What did he, what did he choose us for? Maybe that's better said, what did he choose for us? James says birth is what he chose for us. Not physical birth, but, but, but spiritual birth. Last week, one of the most, what's going to be the word? One of the most beautiful things these eyes have ever seen, standing on that stage at Easter out on the land and looking out, and this is, we've got a couple of pictures, and this is what, what we, and I don't know if, 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 for those of y'all that were there, if you really noticed or if you saw this, but in the neighborhood of a hundred people's hands went up. Like a hundred people, a hundred were spiritually born out on that land down there. Oh my gosh. That means a, 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 like a hundred people, they walk, and you know what? Y'all were doers of the word. There was over 130 volunteers. Thank you for being volunteers because one of the reasons that a lot of those hands went up was because people cared enough to be a doer of the word and volunteer and love on folks. But here's what it meant. You had over a, like a hundred people. They walked on the land spiritually dead and they walked and lost and they walked off the land spiritually alive and, and found. That's what the church is supposed to do. So back, back to verse 18. If y'all can pop verse 18 back on there. He chose to give us birth. Well, how, did he do, how does he do that? And he, James tells us the very next part of that verse. <clears throat> he says, through the word of truth. Well, what does that mean? The answer is really found in a close relationship with the Father and a constant response to his word. And we can rest in his unchangeableness and we can rest on his life-given word, on the word of truth. Paul encouraged the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14. Paul said this. Golly, man, y'all look at these words. Paul said, Paul said, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, it's the word of truth again, and that's Paul writing that. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So he chooses us for birth. We hear the word. We believe him. He saves us. Our salvation is then sealed by the Holy Spirit and we're guaranteed eternal life. All of that, it ought to change us. All of that ought to make us at least a little different on this side as we were on that side. All that ought to make us bear at least a little bit of fruit. And so I said a minute ago that verse 17 and 18 kind of are the why and set up 119 through 27. So let's, let's read through all of those, those eight uh, verses. 
Starting in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not, be merely, listen, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what, what they have heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, oneself from being polluted by the world. James says in verse 19, he says, take note of this, take note. It's like James says, take note, listen up, I'm fixing to tell you all something important. And he says, he says, take note. So in these next nine verses, we're going to walk through three points that are very key to a lot of things. They're key to how we handle the junk that happens in our lives. They're key to how we handle temptations, how we handle adversity, just for how we walk along on a daily basis, how we act, how we are to be in relationships in this life. They're key to how we react to God's Word. So these are the three things. Our receptivity to the word, what we, how we receive the word. Uh, number two, our response, and I'm going to walk through each one, but our responsiveness to the word, we receive it, how do we respond to it? And number three, our resignation to the word, our, how do we stand in that word? Those are essential to spiritual growth. So f- number one is our receptivity to the word. And the word is there. If we receive it or not, it's there. It, it, It's not that we're there and then we get it. It's there. It doesn't matter whether we receive it or not. James tells us to be receptive to the word. And this is in verses 19, 20, and 21. I want to read those verses to you again. I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture today. So this first section of this passage, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He says we got to do three things. we got to be quick to listen. That command calls for me and you to be eager and hungry for the word, hungry to obey God's word. You ought to want to dig in it. You ought to want to dig into it and read it, but slow down. It's not a race. Too many people pick a Bible up. They think they're on a timeline. I'm supposed to be reading my Bible. And so they just read every word as fast as they can read it. Don't do that. It's not, you ain't got, you ain't going, it's not a race. You're not going to get in trouble because you didn't finish this or that in a certain amount of time. When you read a passage, read it again. When you read it again, read it again. Ruminate on it. Meditate on it. Pray through that passage. Be quick to listen. James says, number one, just be quick to listen. Number two, be slow to speak. Be sort of quiet until you understand and apply what you just 
what you just read. It's a call for, for restraint. My granddaddy told me one time, like a long time ago, he said, you got two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you talk. And son, if you have to talk, make sure that the silence you're about to break is improved by whatever comes out of your mouth. And so listen and listen and listen um, and, and be slow to speak. Number three, he says, be slow to become angry. And that's a warning. That's a warning against being hostile and being bitter feelings. And we can't hear God talk when we're stuck in the middle of, of resentment and hatred. Anger is a total, complete waste of energy. It creates divisions among us. And, it, and it, most of the time it comes with selfish, like right alongside selfish ambition. The righteousness that God wants from me and you, it includes deeds that are pure and deeds that are, are peace-loving. When Christians fly off the handle and, and, and they're mean, it just so sends the wrong message to a lost and dying world. It sends a me- Here's what they hear. I don't want to have anything to do with what... If that's what it is, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And it's, it makes it impossible. It doesn't make it. It is impossible to look at believers fussing and fighting with each other and then you're going to ask this person to believe and place faith and trust in the God that you're worshiping and you can't even get along with each other? It's, it's terrible. Proverbs. Proverbs 29:22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Let me tell you something, and, I've, and I, I think I've told you this before, and I guess if I've told it to you before, you're fixing to hear it again. That's a master at stating the obvious. That's what I do. Fifteen years ago, I'm in the car at the corner of Whittlesea and Moon Road. Fifteen years ago, I got my 10-year-old at the time, 10-year-old son, 7-year-old son in the back seat. Light turns green. Lady in front of me doesn't go as fast as I decided that she should have been going. And I'm screaming like a complete idiot. I mean, at the top of my lungs, screaming. Just like that, Zach said, well, that was real Christ-like, Dad. It was so bad. It was so, it was so not good. It sent so the wrong message. The window was open. I'm sure somebody out there heard me, but I know my two sons heard me. It crushed them for a couple of days. So that slow to anger. Anger flies right in the face of what God desires. So that's verse 20. Let's take a look at verse 21. There's two commands in verse 21. Number one is to get rid of the junk in our lives, and number two is to humbly accept the word that's planted in you. James says it's the word of God that can lead you to salvation. Let me tell you what this book, I do that like y'all can see, what this book can do. 17 years ago, I was lost as Cooter Brown, but I, y'all know who Cooter Brown is? I was lost. I just kind of came out. I was, lo- I was lost as Cooter Brown, but I decided to pick this book up and read it. Read every word of it in a little over a year. And on January 17, 2002, the word of truth that James and Paul are talking about led me to the foot of the cross. You know what happens at the foot of the cross? God reached down and saved me from the pit. It's not a difficult process. And he can do that to anybody. Any day of the week, right here, right now, that can happen. So number one is about receptivity to the word, and number two is about our responsiveness to the word. This starts in verse 22. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. And yeah, you've got to hear the word. And yeah, you've got to be receptive to the word. But you know, if James walked in that door, James would whisper in our ear. He'd say, don't deceive yourselves by thinking that you can just listen to the word. He would tell us if he was standing here, you've got to do something about it. The ESV, this is the NIV, a New International Translation. The ESV, I love the way it translates, verse 22. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The literal translation is to keep, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation, to keep on becoming doers of God's word. And sometimes we sit in church and we listen to the message and maybe we're entertained, maybe you're not entertained, maybe you hear some interesting stories, you hear some theological truths, you hear, uh, you may learn something about God, you may learn something about yourself, but here's the deal. If you're not stirred up, if you don't get fired up, something's not right. If you, if you, if you can just read the Word and you can hear the Word and it not, it not affect you, something's not quite right. And the Word says, don't just listen do something. God wants listeners to become disciples. He wants a listener to become a disciple. A disciple is an obedient follower of Jesus. The task of the church, y'all hear this, the task of the church, any church, but I'm talking right now about this church because this church is the church that I love, my church. I know it's my church, but that's the name of our church. Any of y'all ever had to say that to your friends? I go to my church. Well, I know you go to your church, stupid. What's the name of it? So, sorry about that. Our task is to be a machine that makes disciples. No, no, it's not. Our task is to be a machine that makes disciple makers. I can see it like in my mind's eye so well. A lost person walks in the door. Jewish, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, I don't know, an unbeliever walks in, in the door and God equips us, you. God equips you to lead that person into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And then God equips that person to lead their friend into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that friend becomes a disciple maker. That is the model of the church that Jesus gave us. That's the way it's supposed to be. They walk in lost and they get sent out a disciple maker. That's, that's the beginning of that is what happened on that land last week. Are you kidding? A hundred people can go out and, and, and spread the good news. That's what the gospel is, good news. If it's not good news and it doesn't stir you into doing something, something's not right. And, and every week, Every time somebody finds their way back, they become a doer. They find their way back and they become a doer. They not only go from, from lost to found, they make him Lord. They, 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 they make him, he becomes not just a forgiver of their life, 
They make him the leader of their life. You know what people do with leaders? What do people do with leaders? They follow. We follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. He don't need fans. He doesn't. He doesn't need any more fans. He's got enough fans. He needs followers. Lord, please don't let us be fans. Let us be followers. Let the people in this room be doers who are obedient to your word. Let us go out and make a crazy impact for you in our city and and all over the world. Jesus said, this is Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, 6, and 7, the book of Matthew. This is right down there at the end. Y'all listen to this, three verses. He says, therefore, everyone who hears, now think about this. This is about 10 or 20 years before James wrote what he wrote. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. And that doesn't mean 10. That means there was hundreds listening. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they become a doer of the word, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. What's the rock? They're building his house, their house on Christ. The rain came down, the streams rose, the junk got thrown at their house, at themselves, at their life, and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But, everyone, when you read in your Bible and the word but comes up, that's a contrast between two things. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in practice, the person that hears it and doesn't do anything about it, they're a fool. Jesus called them a fool because they're a foolish they're, they're foolish. That's the foolish man that built his house on the sand and the rain came down and the junk got thrown at his life and the streams rose, the winds blew. And, and what happened in that house? It fell to a crash. And you know what the next two verses say? The next two verses say, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Shocker. I mean, if, you don't, if you're not amazed at the teaching of Jesus Christ, again, something's not quite right. And they said, or Jesus said, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And you know why he taught like one that has authority? I'm a master at stating the obvious, because he does have authority. He does. He's God, and we should be amazed at his teaching. He leads, and we follow. He tells me what to do, and I do what he says to do. And there's an element, there's actually a large element of submission in that. But you know what? There's a huge, huge amount of freedom and liberty and peace that's found in that submission. It's not freedom to sin and act like a fool. It's freedom not to do that. So receptivity to the word responsiveness to the word, to, to what it reveals to us. Now they've got to be married up to a new approach to life. The receptivity of the word, how we respond to it, we've got to marry that to a different outlook on life. This is, this is the, a resignation to the word, verses 26 and 7. So those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is what? Y'all say, what's their religion? Their religion is, James says, is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that word religious, thraskos, thraskos actually, it points towards external behavior, ritual, ceremony, the dude that's standing on the corner waving his hands praying so everybody will see how much of a prayer person he is. It's praying at Zaxby's so loud that the people in the kitchen can hear you because you want them to think you're this big prayer person. It's, it's fasting uh, and plastering it all over Facebook so the whole world sees how, how holy you are. It's, it's external, and James is poking a little bit at that. James, it's like self-righteousness. Maybe it's even, maybe it's hypocrisy, I don't know. But he's poking a little bit, and he levels two accusations in this passage, in this, these couple of verses. He levels two accusations here on the people that just do, uh, don't sit there and think I'm saying you don't need to pray and you don't need to fast, not what I'm saying. But when it is, when it is all of that external, and then what comes out of your mouth is hatred and, and, and meanness and ugliness, that's the example that James uses. What does he say? He says they can't keep a tight rein on their tongues. That's what he's saying. And so, number one, they deceive themselves, one of the accus- accusations. What a pity would it be to realize that a lifetime of pseudo-religion that you've only been practicing self-deception for your whole life. Number one accusation is that you deceive yourselves. And number two he says their religion is worthless. So it's people that, we all know people like this, man, put me in the front of the line at certain seasons of my, of my life. They prop themselves up as, quote, religious, but they can't control their mouth. They have no filter. James says these people's religion, all that public-facing outward uh, uh, religiosity, James says it's worthless, it's futile, and it's fruitless. Here's what God says. A pure and faultless religion is one where our, where our conduct and our character are in line with the book, with God's word. And it is so clear that God's emphasis here is not on religious ritual and ceremonial stuff. It's about right living. His focus is on right living. James emphasizes what God the Father stresses. Two things. It's not hard. This is the way this passage ends. Two things. Just take care of people. Just love on the widows and orphans. Just take care of folks and keep your character right. Do the best you can to keep your character right. Don't let yourself get polluted by the world because the world is after polluting you. So you have to defend against that. And now this is not one big definition of religion. It's not, that's not what James is doing. It's a contrast with the counterfeit worship and ceremonial mumbo-jumbo that the world calls religion. And again, the goal is a mature Christian walk and practical holiness. A believer with God-pleasing religion helps people in need and consequently like is, is literally pure and faultless. And so even though this morning we, we are, uh, are in James, I started off with Hebrews 11.6. Y'all remember I started off with Hebrews 11.6. What is Hebrews 11.6? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Belief is first. Faith 
is first. Faith does come first. Works are the dance that faith causes, but faith comes first. Belief, trust, faith. Our main passage today, verses 19 through 27, being receptive to the Word, being responsive to the Word, and being resigned to the Word. We can't even get there without the faith. You, you can't even get on the field of all of that without the faith. Remember verses 17 and 18, particularly verse 18. What does it say? He chose. Oh, my gosh. He did not have to choose. He was perfectly fine without choosing me and you. But he chose to choose us. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And I want you all to think about, I don't even know like the word, the ginormousness of that. The, 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 that's a new word. The ginormous, the gin, see, I can't even say it. The ginormousness of that statement. The life-changingness of that statement. Just, you think about those words. Here's what I want to do. Y'all bow your heads. And close your eyes too. And, and just, I just want, just for a little bit, some of you are sitting here at a, throw that over there, at a, at a sort of a pivotal, um, pivotal point. And you may have been bashed over the head. Lord knows, you may have been bashed over your head for years with false religion. I know I was. Maybe nobody has ever modeled pure and faultless for you. Maybe nobody has, has, has ever modeled for you, and maybe you have never even seen properly motivated deeds of compassion and inner purity. Maybe that's you. Sitting here right now, maybe that's you. You're at a crossroads. I know people are in here at crossroads. But you know what? Every single believer that has ever been on the planet God chose to give them birth, and he chose to do that. I said it before, man. Um, it's nuts. It, is, it is, really is crazy because he, he didn't have to do it. And, and he, all you have to do today, if you, if you want to see what pure and faultless is, if, if you want to know what real freedom is, if you want to know what real forgiveness looks like, there's three things that I want you to do. And I want you to, to, to talk to the Lord. You can do it out loud. You can do it in your mind. You can whisper it, whatever it is. But you, you got to do it. You can't have your mama's faith. This is, this, is, this is you. So there's three things I want you to say. Just between you and the Lord, I want you to say, number one, Lord, I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to forgive my sins, and I want to accept that birth that James is talking about, number one. Number two, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. When the day comes, when I breathe my last breath, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Number two and number three is, I, Lord, I want you to change my life. I want hope where there's hopelessness. I want, uh, Lord, I want freedom. I want freedom where there's shackles. And, Lord, I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. So I, let's just sit here for just a minute, 30 seconds or something. Let's just sit here, and I want you to think about that. I want to think about that. And, 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 if, and you know what? If, you're a, if you have already done that and you're a believer, there's people in here. 
that are doing that and going through that right now, I want you as we sit here to be praying for them. And it, it look, look if you if you if, they, if you've y'all keep your your heads bowed. If you if that's happened today, and I know it's scary, I do. If that has happened today, I would like you just to just to raise your hand, even just a little bit. Raise your hand. Raise it up high as you want, because we want to pray for you. We want to we we want to we want to walk on that journey with you. We want to we want to be an ear for you to talk to when you need somebody to talk to, and so. Uh, so you can you can uh, open your eyes and, and 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 look up. There's a connection card in front of you, and if that happened to you, if you said yes today, and even if you're here from last week, and you said yes last week, if you just jot that down on that connection card, just your name, somehow way to get in touch with you, how, however that is, phone number, email address, whatever it is, and if you want to just write hashtag forgiven on that connection card, that that is great. So, Lord, let me, let, me, uh, let me pray for us real quick, and I'm going to call Richard up. Lord, we love you today. We, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your guy, James, that, that you spoke through, you know, 2,000 years ago, that, um, uh, that you inspired him to write us a message that 2,000 years later that you gave to a group of people that just needed to hear it. And so, Lord, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.